Good morning. Um, my name is Robert, and uh, again, I want to welcome you. We have been talking about rest for the last four weeks, and uh, partly because it's something that's, I think, difficult for most people. Uh, for many of us, it's hard to cut the engines and stop working and stop working on the to-do list, feeling like if I don't do the next thing, that all of life is just going to kind of turn into chaos and uh, that I myself am the one that's holding the universe together. Uh, or when we do rest, we don't really rest very well. The way we rest doesn't really cause our weariness uh, to be dealt with and we instead are you know, sleeping all day or we're staring at our phones and you know, watching videos of Breadface Girl on Instagram or, you know, binging on Sherlock episodes or, or whatever, uh, and we end up not being rested. But enough about my issues. Um, the, the lack of rest, whether we're not willing to rest or we don't really get rested when we do rest, is really at its core, it's a spiritual problem. It's not just a practical kind of priority problem, scheduling problem. It's, it's really a spiritual problem at its root. And that's what we, we want to get at in this sermon today. And, and what, what we'll find out in this text, and I'll just give you a short version of the sermon in case you get lost because it's a complicated text. I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, when I put this in the, in, in the sermon series, I'm looking at it on Monday in the airport, and I'm trying to do a little cramming for sermon, and I'm like, what was that? This is way too complicated. And, and, it, and it is very complicated. So... Just know that going in, and uh, we'll do my best to, to make, it, uh, make it clear. But what, it, what it's going to reveal to us is that the, the reason that we have a hard time resting is because we really haven't authentically entered into the rest of God, right? His, his rest. And so we're going to talk more about uh, what that even means to be entering in with God into His rest. So the book of Hebrews... It's an interesting book, and you, you can go ahead and, and start finding Hebrews. I'm actually going to look at a scripture in Hebrews 3, and then we'll move to the, the text that's the main text in 4. And there's Bibles under your chair. There's Bibles on your phone. Maybe you brought it. You're going to need your Bible. Um, it'll be helpful to you to, to read along. But the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians. So they, they were Jewish. They heard about Jesus, the Messiah. They, they became at least professing uh, Christians, and because of some persecution, because of maybe some theological confusion, uh, they were thinking about going back to a Judaism without Jesus. And so Hebrews uh, is a sober warning to those uh, professing Christians, you do not want to go back to a Judaism without Jesus. And so it's a, it's, it's a sobering, it's a, it's, it's a warning kind of a, of a book. Uh, and part of how the writer of Hebrews warns them not to do that is that he reminds them of some of the darkest times in their history. And he goes back in the Old Testament, he reminds them of some times, and he lets them know that they are in fact acting like their forefathers have acted in some of the darkest times back in the Old Testament. And so, for instance, Hebrews 3, verses 7 through 11, this is on the screen here, writes, and he's quoting Old Testament. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. 
Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They've not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now it's quoting another warning passage, a lot of which is in Psalm 95 and some some other places where God's people are being reminded of this very dark day, the day of the rebellion. And that day was a day that uh, had, had had some amazing things leading up to it. God had heard uh, his people crying out in Egypt. They wanted to be released from captivity. Uh, he sent Moses in. Moses uh, was able to miraculously deliver 10 crazy plagues that convinced the Pharaoh to let the people go. Uh, once the people are, are, are delivered and they're leaving Egypt, then Pharaoh changes his mind, sends soldiers to recapture them. Uh, then God opens up the Red Sea. God's people go through the Red Sea. Then the soldiers go into the Red Sea, and the Red Sea closes in on them, and they're miraculously rescued yet again after the 10 plagues and, and, and then at the Red Sea. And, and so when they get into the wilderness... Uh, God feeds them through manna and, and gets them water when they need water, and he helps them to have military success, even though they don't really know how to fight because they've been enslaved uh, for a number of years. And then they get up to the edge of the promised land. And this is where they, they've been promised that, that this is the place you want to go, and God even calls it his rest. And, and so they send in 12 spies. The spies go in. And they see that, that the people are militarily advanced, they are giants, their cities are walled, and the spies come back and they say, no way, we're not doing it. And they choose not to trust in the promise that God has given them that if they do go in, he will be with them and he will help them dispossess the land and possess it, uh, and it will be a place of promise, it will be a place of, of rest. And so the author of Hebrews is, is writing there, and he's, he's, he's saying that you're behaving in much the same way. In much the same way. There are, there are similarities. Um, because what happens when they refuse to go in there is he disciplines them. And he says to them, for 40 years, you're going to be in the desert. You're going to wander around. Now, I say discipline because he makes sure they're fed and that their clothes don't wear out, and then every time there's an invader that he gives them military success. So it wasn't like he just completely threw them to the curb. He still was with them. He still protected them. But he said, you're not going into my rest. And that's what that, that, that passage is repeating, that dark moment where God says, no, you do not enter into my rest. And so we flash forward 1,500 years, and now we have these Jewish Christians who are doing something similar. It's not the same, but it's similar. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, let's, let's learn some lessons from the people that stood there at the banks of the Jordan and refused to go in, and let's not be like them. Right? So here's some things we're going to learn. Here's some questions we're going to answer. If you're taking notes, these are the questions I'd write down, kind of give you some uh, some little handles here. If you're not taking notes, maybe you should bring a notebook next week and take notes. Okay? Uh, even if you never look at the notes again, if it goes into your brain and out your hand and onto the paper, you're going to be more likely to remember it. And our understanding is, is in this preaching moment, the Lord is speaking through, as, as crazy as this is, very imperfect vessel that I am and other preachers that stand up here, but he, he speaks through his word, and he speaks a word that's timely to his people in this moment. That's a big deal. 
So I would write it down. You know, it's just me maybe, but I would write it down. So notes. We'll be talking about Gospel of John next week. Anyway, so here's some questions we're going to answer. Why was it that some people entered God's rest and some people didn't? Right? Why do some enter? Why do, why do some not? Uh, what is this rest that's being talked about? Right? How can I personally enter the rest? And then how do I know if I've actually entered it? So why do some enter, some not? What is it we're even talking about? How can I enter into this rest that we're talking about? And then what might be some evidences that I've actually entered into the rest of God? All that's answered in this passage. So let's flip, flip over to Hebrews 4, and this is our, our kind of focal text here. Hebrews 4, verse 1, Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Now, this is important. He's saying the, the promise to enter the rest still stands. So, so here we know that the rest he's talking about is not the rest that was the geographical location of Israel. When this is being written, and, and today, the nation of Israel is, is residing in the promised land. Now, they're under Roman rule, but they are residing in the promised land, the land of rest. And what he's saying is that's, that's not the ultimate rest. It's something called a type and a type points forward to something ultimate. It's important, and it was something that God promised them, but it was pointing to something greater, something ultimate. So whatever this rest is, it's, it's, not, it's not a geographical location, right? And we'll find out as, as we go uh, what that rest is. Now, there are similarities as far as why some people did and didn't enter the rest of God in the Old Testament story and currently. And so here's, here's where we find out why some entered, some didn't. Verse 2, For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So here's why some people enter rest and some people don't. Those that believe the message or the good news, they believe the Word of God. These are the people that enter in God's rest. Those that have unbelief, those that are hard-hearted, sometimes it's described, those do not enter His rest when they don't believe the Word of God. Belief in, trust in, faith in the Word of God. This is at the core of a right relationship with God. Believing his word. He's a God who speaks. This is how he reveals himself. And it's through his word. So we believe his word. We enter his rest. We don't believe his word. We do not enter his rest. And the Israelites did not believe his word on that dark day, except for two people. Well, maybe three, right? So Moses believed it. But Moses was sort of the pastor of Israel. They're like, you're the pastor. You're supposed to believe the Word of God, right? But there were two others, Joshua and Caleb. Uh, they were part of the 12 spies that went in, and they did the intelligence work, and, and they, they, they saw all the same things that all the other spies saw, and they saw the walled cities and the military technology, and, and they saw the giants, and they saw the impossible odds. But when they came back, the, the, the two, Joshua and Caleb, said, let's go. 
And the reason they said, let's go, is because they believed the Word of God. They saw the same circumstances that the other 10 that said, no way, were like grasshoppers in their eyes. They believed the Word, and consequently, Joshua and Caleb got to go into the Promised Land. Everyone else of that generation died. That's partly why they, they wandered around for 40 years. 40 years represents a generation. So for 40 years, that whole adult generation wandered around in the, the, the wilderness, and it was sort of like waiting for them to all drop, except for Joshua and Caleb. And they had the same exposure to the elements, the same diseases, the same stresses and strains of living in the desert, but they, they lived. Just a little picture of how belief in the Word of God sustained them, and they got to go into the promised land. So you had all this other younger generation going in there, and then you had these two old grizzled guys going in there going, yeah, because they believed. They believed the promise. They believed what God said, and because of that, they entered His rest. Uh, now, the, the, the ultimate rest, right, again, is not the geography of Israel. And this is where we find this out in the second part here, verse 3. It says, For we who've believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he says, they shall not enter my rest. Now, that's a complicated passage. Here's the jest. The jest is, is that the true rest, the ultimate rest, is the rest of God. When he says, my rest. This is the rest that human beings were created to live in. Think about this. It talks about the seventh day of creation. If you've ever started reading the Bible from the opening chapters and you read through the creation account and you saw that after six days, uh, God had, had created the whole universe and he, and he crescendos with human beings and he gets done with, with human beings on day six and then day seven, Adam rolls out of bed. He's like, okay, what's on the to-do list, God? He's like, day off. You get a day off. What? That makes no sense to us. We're like, no, 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 let's, have, let's, have, let's get some stuff done. Let's work hard. Let's earn a day. Off. No, 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 no. It, 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 it's all grace, Adam. God's done the work of creating an entire universe. He's done the work of planting a garden. He's done the work of placing Adam in the garden. The garden's already fruitful. There's already food to eat. There's a buffet. It's his day off. And he, he wants Adam to know. It's all grace. Everything's been given to you by me. You don't have anything that didn't come from me. Rest. Rest in the grace of a good and gracious creator. Now, uh, it's more than than just you get to lay around, right? This was freedom from injustice or oppression. This was freedom from deprivation, this was, was freedom to worship the life-giving God. This was freedom to experience life-giving relationships with others. 
This was freedom to fulfill a meaningful vocation. He wasn't just doing a job to get paid. You know, I'm listening to the radio yesterday, and it's like the work escape weekend. That's not what it was like in the created order. And on this seventh day, he was experiencing this rest that God had given him as a free gift. And so this, this rest that we're speaking of, again, this is question two, what is this rest? It's a relationship with the life-giving God and all those implications that come out of that, right? Right with God, right with self, right with others, right with, with the earth. Now, you're hearing that and you're saying, well, that's not my life. That's not the world that I'm living in. Yeah, I, I, no, I know. I mean, even when we try to go on a vacation, it's just not as good as we thought it was going to be, usually. I don't know how many times this has happened. I'm looking forward to vacation. One week off, two weeks off, can't wait, can't wait, working extra hard to get the stuff done, get the house clean, get the trash taken out, get the job done, get people doing the jobs that I usually do so I can get a, a vacation. And then you get there and the kids get sick. Or you have a fight with your spouse. Or you spend money you don't have. Or you get a sunburn. Or you can't sleep. Right? I mean, there's something in us. We're, we're longing for vacation. We're longing for rest. But because of this fallen world that we live in, we can't seem to quite ever find that rest. And it's because we live in a fallen world. Right? Adam and Eve, they, they were living in this this place of rest, resting in the grace of God. And then they were offered an alternative vision of what life could be like. And they were told that God wasn't being truthful to them and, and that he was holding out on them. And when he told them not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that he was actually holding out on something good. And so Adam and Eve chose to believe a word that was not God's word. And so by believing a word that was not God's word, they lost their rest. They didn't fail to enter rest. They lost their rest. And you can hear it in, in what's oftentimes called the curse. This is what God explains to Adam. Okay, here's now what's gonna, what life's going to be like now that you've made this choice and all, all of that rest that you were once experiencing is now disintegrating. And here's how he describes it. It says to Adam in Genesis 3, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, you've eaten the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. That was the word he was supposed to heed. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That's the world we know. That's the world we know. Weary, striving, toiling, but more than, more than that, weary from injustice and oppression at times, constant fear of deprivation or even in the actual bondage of deprivation, breakdown of the life-giving relationship with God, breakdown of the life-giving relationship with others and work, not being really a calling and a vocation, but being toil, just something that I have to do because I need money to live and I can't wait for the weekend to escape it. This is the life we know. E even in a, a job that you may love, I love my job. 
It's not really a job. It's a calling. And I, I, I derive so much life out of it. I love it. But there are still days when it's toil. The day before I left for this 12-day trip, I, I feel this little twinge in my back. And some of you who know me, you know that just off and on, I just have little back problems. And, and so I got this pain shooting down my back. And the next day I wake up and it's worse. And I'm, I'm having to get on an airplane or ride in a rental car and talk to people and preach sermons. And I got pain, right? And I'm like, this stinks. It's toil, right? But this is, this is, this is nothing compared to, to the convenience clerk, graveyard shift worker who's under an abusive manager but can't find a different job and has to work in that day in and day out, right? This is nothing compared to the refugee who's, who's looking in the, the trash dump right now and trying to find some kind of metal that they could resell or food that they could give to their family. This is nothing compared to the, the teenage a girl who is having to labor as a sex slave every day. Right? So, so I, I, I got a pretty good gig going, okay? But every human being has a sense of this, this toil, this, this striving. No amount of, uh, of how much you love your job, there's this sense of, of, of not being able to find rest. And again, why did all this happen? It's because of a lack of belief in the Word of God. This is why human beings lost the rest. Now, what's in this text is that there's an opportunity to re-enter God's rest. This is the good news of this passage. You thought maybe it was all bad news. No, there's some good news in here too. Verse 6, since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Forever has entered God's rest, has also rested from his works as God did from his complicated passage, I know. But here's, here's the jest. The jest is, he's saying, if when they really did go into the promised land and that next generation obeyed and they, they trusted the Word of God and Joshua t- took them in and, and they, re- they established their nation there, if that would have actually been the ultimate rest, then it would never have been mentioned before. But it is mentioned again, and David mentions it. And now he's saying, now he's mentioning it. And, and they're saying, there, there's an ultimate rest. And you can enter that rest. And you can enter that rest. Uh, well, this is, this, is, this, is, this is how you enter this rest, right? This is the next question. Here's how you can enter this rest, even today. Verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Now, that's interesting, right? He's like, let's strive to enter the rest. So you're thinking, okay, here's a list of the 10 things I must do to strive into the rest that God has for me. Look at the next verse. For the what? Word. Wow, it's not a list. It's the Word. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirits and of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him 
to whom we must give an account. He's letting us know yet again it's belief in the Word of God. Belief in the Word of God. Now, what is this Word of God? It, it must not be, okay, if you go into the promised land, we can dispossess all the people. That, that, that must not be the message. What's, what's the message? The message is the gospel. The message is the gospel. The message that God's Son was pierced, that His joints and marrow were separated, that His own soul was separated from His Father because He'd taken on the sin of humanity, that, that, that He was, was naked and vulnerable and, and shamed on the cross. That is the word that one must believe if they are going to enter in the rest, into the rest of God. And just like those who, who stood at the River Jordan, and they, said, they may have said intellectually, oh yes, I assent to this, I believe this, but I'm not going in there, right? That, we're, we're, that's what we're, 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 some of us are doing the same thing. Like we're saying, yeah, we all intellectually ascend to that. No, we're trusting in, we're faithing in, down to our very heart, the very core of who we are, we're believing in the gospel. And so this, this is how we enter into the rest of God. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? If you don't, you will not enter the rest of God. It's as cut and dry as it was that day they stood on that river. Either believe this word of the pierced son whose joints and marrow were separated for your sake, or you will not enter into the rest of God. How do I know if I've done that? <laughs> How do I know if it's, it's more than just intellectual assent in my mind? It's something where I've believed at a heart level? Well, you obey. That's how you know. That, that's why he says, let us therefore strive to enter the rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. He's saying he knew that everybody but Joshua and Caleb did not believe because they didn't obey. They could say they obeyed. They could sing songs that they, that they, that they believed. They could sing songs that said they believed, but they didn't obey. And because of that, we know they didn't believe, but we knew that Joshua and Caleb, they actually believed the Word of God because they obeyed. And so this obedience is not something that earns your rest, but it's actually a fruit of your rest. It, it's the evidence of your rest in God. A couple ways that you can obey that exemplifies the reality that you have believed in the Word and entered into the rest of God. And, and, and obviously there are many obediences that a Christian experiences in their life, but here's a couple that tie into this uh, theme of rest. Uh, one of the obediences is that you're willing to rest. You're willing to cease striving. You're willing to allow God to run the universe. 
You're willing to put down your to-do list. You're willing to be still. You're willing to rest and to worship. And partly, you're, you're here today. You're resting. A lot of things you could be doing today. But you're not. You're, you're sitting, you're listening to the Word of God. You're taking the bread and the cup. You're, 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 you're resting. You're receiving. That's good. And our unwillingness to do that reveals that we don't really own the rest. We don't, we don't, we don't own this idea of resting in God. There it is one evidence. Uh, what, one of my favorite illustrations of this is uh, World War I soldiers from Britain and some from Canada who insisted on having tea time every day in the combat zone. Because I know when I say you need to rest that we're not living in the created order. We're living in the fallen world. And it's a toiling, striving, futile kind of world that we live in. And so it's hard to rest. It's hard to cut the engines. And so I love this little, these little pictures. As I see these, and they've got the little you know, bone china cups, and they're heating up their water on the radiators of their trucks. And the American GIs, they're just pulling their hair out. They're like, what are you doing? There, there, there's bullets flying. There's bombs going off. We need to be fighting. And they're like, no, we need to have tea time. It's part of how they kept their, their sanity, but I think it's a great picture of Christians because here we are. There's a lot we need to be getting done, right? There's, there's a lot of demonstration and proclamation of the gospel. We could be doing it right now. We could have try harder Sunday. Like, let's forget this sitting and let, no, no, no. We work from rest. We work from the grace of the gospel. And then out of that overflows the next obedience I want to talk about, and that is laboring for the rest of others. If we've experienced this rest, we're going to hunger for and desire for others to experience that rest as well. We're going to labor and strive for those who are under oppression. We're going to labor and strive to offer hospitality. You ever think about that? How hospitality is actually laboring for the rest of others. It's hard to offer hospitality. You've got to clean the house. You've got to get the food. You've got to, got to call people. You've got to set it up. Like, you're working hard. But then when the people get there, what are they doing? They're at leisure. Everything's been done. It's a beautiful offer, a sacrifice of service. But what you've done, you've labored for the rest of another. When, when families and singles get this in our church, man, I just want to do backflips. Now, my I can't really because my back hurts, but if I could, I would do backflips because it's such a beautiful ministry when people are willing to do what it takes to open their homes and to labor for the rest of others. When you give generously, you're laboring for the rest of others, right? I, I don't think there's any of you that, that have so much expendable income. You're like, ah, I got money to burn. I just want to give more money away because I don't really need it. And I don't even have, you know, it's not even, that, that's probably not anyone in this room, right? But as Christians who are resting, kind of that seventh day resting of it's all grace, we, we want to labor for the rest of others. So when we give generously to the church and to other ministries, we're, we're, we're making it possible for them to have the gospel demonstrated to them and to be proclaimed to them, and then they too can enter into that rest. And then our own demonstration and proclamation of the gospel to our friends, our co-workers, our family, people that God brings across our path, like we long for them to enter the rest of God. We're willing to labor for them so that they can experience that. 
And so th- these are a couple of indicators that you really have entered into the rest of God. Uh, that Again, just as Adam entered into a rest that was bought and paid for by God's creation of the entire universe, of, of his planting a garden, of putting Adam in there, our rest was bought and paid for by God too. We're reminded of that every time we come to the table. Jesus, with his disciples, what is he doing? He's playing host. Disciples are at, at, at rest. They're actually reclining at the table, and, and they're at leisure, and they're enjoying food, and they're enjoying a life-giving relationship with God who's actually in the room, in the flesh. They're experiencing life-giving relationship with each other. They're experiencing uh, all, all these benefits, right? And here Jesus is hosting all of them. And he, he takes bread, he breaks it, he gives it to them. Take, eat, right? You tell a bunch of guys in the room, take, eat. They get pretty excited. Yeah. And then he says, this is my body. This is my body given for you, right? And then he takes the cup. He gives thanks for the cup. He blesses the cup. He gives it to them saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. When he says new covenant, he's, he's saying, my father, through what he's about to do on the cross, is inviting you back into the rest that Adam and Eve had before the fall. And Jesus is going to buy that with his own blood. Christian, this is the rest that you reside in. Yes, in the midst of a fallen world, I know. And there's lots of toil and striving, and it's hard to, to fight that. But this is the rest that you've been given by God's grace. If you're here this morning and you are not a Christian, you, you know what, it, what it's like to toil and strive, and you've done all kinds of things to try to, to meet moral standards or to please people or to achieve, and you are just about to pull your hair out because all that toiling and striving has gotten you nothing. I'm, I'm, I want to say to you this morning, it's because God wanted to bring you to this point where you would give up, and you would receive by grace through faith the rest that can only come from God through Christ Jesus. So I would encourage you to receive that this morning. To go to him in prayer, even in these moments, and ask him to forgive you, to bring you into relationship with him, and to enter his rest. And it is a rest that you will experience now and forevermore. If you are already a follower of of Jesus, this this is a good reminder. I need this reminder that it's all grace. We don't strive and earn and try to score points with God. No, we we begin with rest. We begin with grace, the grace of the gospel. And out of that, we serve, not to earn, but out of gratitude for what He's given. And so bring your weariness, bring your experience of futility, whatever it is that you're experiencing today, your exhaustion, bring that to the cross. And let the the work of Christ, who did the work you could have never done, let let that redeem your work, transform it this morning. Those that are here and you're just getting started, like maybe this is your first Sunday, really glad that you're here. 
And you're looking at that Hebrews passage, and you're like, this is why I think the Bible's crazy, because I couldn't never understand. I, I'm glad you're here. <clears throat> and if you're just beginning that journey of conversation and questions, and you know you're not there, you're not a Christ follower, I'm going to encourage you during this time that we take this communion that you would just remain in your seat, pray, think about what you're hearing, and then continue that conversation after the service. I'll be here in the front. Folks will be around. Uh, maybe you have a friend who's a, a Christ follower can continue that conversation. But during this time, uh, just remain in your seat. Let's pray. Good and gracious God. I, I'm so encouraged as I think about that seventh day and think about Adam being received into your rest. And then thinking about what it costs you to then redeem us and bring us back into your rest. That we're no longer under your wrath. Not because of anything we've done, but because of your son on the cross. And so, Lord, we, we bring our striving, we bring our futility, we bring our weariness, exhaustion, we bring it before you, Lord, asking you, in the midst of this fallen world, Lord, will you transform us? Give us grace to rest and to labor for the rest of others. Thank you for the bread and the cup. Thank you for the, the hospitality that you offer in this moment to your people whom you love. Please bless it and bless our fellowship with you and one another as we take it. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.